Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. 39 and single. Can someone help me out? He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black, white, shiny eyes with an underbite. I just need Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spermcast. First things first, I will be back next week with a more typical episode, you know, funny guests, make you pee your pants, all that stuff. But this episode is more of a lesson and an exploration with opinions from lots of different people. I have no idea if this stuff is boring, thrilling, impossible to understand, or if I'm condescending and talking down to you like you're a child. So please send me feedback. And if it's good feedback, by all means, share it publicly on Instagram or, you know, Apple Podcasts. Go for it. If it's critical, you know, just maybe be more discreet about it. A little email to spermcast at gmail.com or a DM on social or text the hotline 323-741-1818. I really want to know how I'm doing so I can make this show great for you. Honestly, I'm not doing this for myself, people. I mean, I okay, I am doing it for myself. But yeah, it'd be nice if it was interesting for you, too. Okay, onward. Last you heard, if you listened to last week's episode, was that I had four blastocysts and they were waiting to see if there was a fifth one that would mature overnight. After I posted the last episode, I spoke with Julie, the IVF nurse. So when Dr. Taylor updated you, he gave you four that were frozen, correct? Yeah. You actually now have five. Yay. Yay. Cool. What's the grading on that one? That one is a day seven, four, CC. C like Charlie, C like Charlie. Okay. Cool. All right. Neat, neat. So you guys send them off now, yeah, or what? Yep. Samples are off for biopsy. And then we wait. takes about seven to ten business days for the results to come in. Okay. Sometimes they they can come in faster, and if they do, we call you right away. So, total of five embryos, some higher grade than others, all biopsied and sent off to Vegas, and now I'm just waiting for those results. It could take a whole another week. While I'm waiting, I want to dive deeper into the topic of genetic testing of embryos. To do that, let's review the terminology once again. Blastocyst. Basically, a blastocyst is an embryo that makes it to 5 or 6 days old and is made up of 70 to 100 cells. These cells are dividing rapidly and going to different areas of the embryo, creating an inner cell mass, which becomes the fetus, the blastocele, which is simply the fluid-filled cavity inside the blastocyst, and the trophectoderm, which is the outer shell of the embryo, like, 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 a, like a puffy vest from L.L. Bean. The trophectoderm eventually becomes the placenta. As an embryo grows, the embryologist keeps an eye on it and decides when the embryo is mature enough to transfer it into the uterus or biopsy it for genetic testing. Most clinics use the Gardner system for grading the morphology of an embryo. As an example, let's use one of my embryos, graded 4cc. 
On a scale of 1 to 6, the 4 refers to how fast the embryo is expanding. The first letter, the C, refers to the inner cell mass, how many cells it contains and how tightly packed they are. An A on this scale would be a lot of cells and tightly packed. A C would mean there's an inner cell mass, but it doesn't contain a lot of cells and they're not tightly packed. The second C in the grading refers to the trophectoderm. An A would mean there are many cells forming a cohesive outer layer, whereas a C grade shows few cells and therefore not much of a layer to speak of. Now let's talk about genetic testing. Genetic testing will tell us if the embryo is euploid or aneuploid. Euploid just means normal. A normal embryo should have 23 pairs of chromosomes, 23 from the mom, 23 from the papa, for a total of 46. That's what we want. That's what leads to a healthy baby. But then there's aneuploid. That's when there's a chromosomal abnormality, something funky going on with the pairings. Like, let's say we're at a middle school dance and all the girls are lined up on one side and all the boys are on the other and they pair up in a line in the middle. Sometimes when these chromosomes are pairing up, one of those loser chromosomes is left alone in the corner crying. That's called monosomy. Sometimes a creepy guy wants to jump in on a slow dance with one of the pairs and make a threesome. That's called trisomy. Sometimes there can be a deletion on one of the chromosomes. Like, let's say one of the pairs is grinding really hard and the guy gets hot and he takes off his jacket. That would be a deletion. Or, if a girl decides to put some tissues in her bra to make her boobs double in size, that would be a duplication. What do you think of this analogy, by the way? Pretty dope, right? I came up with it all on my own, no big deal. Anyway, it's estimated that more than half of embryos contain chromosomal abnormalities and that rate increases with age. So at my age, 41, the rate of aneuploid is actually 72%. Chromosomal abnormalities usually result in negative pregnancies, miscarriage, or if the embryo survives, which is unlikely, this can lead to a child with an often very severe affliction depending on which chromosomes are affected. Which leads to the main topic of this episode. Pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. You'll hear it referred to in this episode as PGT and PGS as well. These are just older versions. Genetic testing seems like a wonderful advancement in the field of baby making, but there's actually a lot of controversy about it. Many clinics require it, many clinics let you choose, and many clinics discourage it. Before genetic screening, embryologists would rank embryos morphology under a microscope, you know, by eye, and use their opinions. Then clinics would transfer the best-looking embryos first and cross their fingers that the good-looking embryos meant chromosomally normal too. But it turns out even the most gorgeous, sexiest 6AA embryo can be aneuploid and end in a miscarriage. Now that PGTA is around, doctors can rank the embryos more accurately and transfer the most viable ones first, potentially saving patients months of devastating failed transfers and thousands upon thousands of dollars, because these doctors charge a lot for these transfers. When you transfer a euploid embryo, the rate of live birth is 60-70%, to 70%, regardless of age, which is amazing. And when you know an embryo is healthy, there's no need to transfer more than one embryo at a time, so this reduces the risk of multiples. Also, if you know you you want more than one kid and you freeze five embryos without testing them, you could be shit out of luck if you try to transfer those at 48 years old and none of them are normal. So it's best to know in advance, maybe. Those are all the good things about PGTA, but there are some potential drawbacks. In short, clinics may be discarding some viable embryos because some embryos that could have resulted in live births may be inaccurately labeled as aneuploid. We'll get into this in a bit. 
I wanted to understand why nobody has a good answer for any of this, so I kind of crowdsourced. Is that what you call it? I asked friends, doctors, strangers from the internet, and listeners like you to call in or give me your opinions. Like Lillian, who's a listener and heard my request last week. She left me a voicemail. Hey, Molly. My name is Lillian. I'm in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I just found Spermcast thanks to uh, Matt and Dory's excellent adventure. And I just want to say, girl, you have got to believe what your doctor is telling you. Four blasts out of your eggs, I would kill for that. I have diminished ovarian reserve, and uh, the most eggs that we ever got was seven. I've been through four retrievals, and I have a total out of those four retrievals, which took me from January until now um, of this year, I have four PGS normal eggs. So your doctor is right on when he says that a 40 to 50% blast rate from uh, fertilized eggs is what you want. So you are in good hands with him. And in terms of PGS, I just want to let you know, sort of the euploid rate is going to be based on your age. So for my age group, um, in the 34, 35 age range, um, you're going to expect approximately 50% euploid embryos, and that decreases with increasing maternal age. But if you get, again, like 30 to 40% of PGS normal or euploid um, embryos, you are doing really well. And I know how hard it is to go from the number of eggs you did down to the number of blasts, but again, I would have killed to have more uh, more eggs to start out with. And even then, the most number of fertilized eggs I ever got was five. So I just wanted to leave that for you. Um, you are doing a great job, good job with the self-care. And um, I'm really looking forward to being one of your uh, new listeners. I'm going to start catching up in the back catalog soon, but in the meantime, I'm looking forward to following your journey, and I'm keeping your my fingers crossed for, for your embryos to test really well with that PGS testing. Thanks. Bye. Lillian followed up her voicemail with a very sweet text message because she was worried she made me feel bad. Don't worry, Lillian, you didn't. I appreciate your input and appreciate hearing your opinion, and I thank you for giving me some perspective. Honestly, I'm just being careful and trying not to celebrate because I'm afraid of having a letdown. But I truly am happy that I now have five embryos. I'm just scared and being careful. I also got a text to my hotline, and here's what that one said. Hi Molly, my name is Melanie, and I recently discovered your podcast a few weeks ago and have binge-listened to the entire thing. Wow, that's a lot of episodes. Thank you. I love your podcast and really appreciate how you are sharing all of these fertility experiences with listeners. I've been going through lots of fertility treatments for the last year and did an IVF retrieval this past May. I want to validate that the waiting period after the retrieval to find out your embryo report results is the absolute worst. I was completely anxious watching the numbers go down and having no control. I did PGS testing and I'm glad I did since I really wanted to avoid avoid miscarriage from an abnormal embryo, which would take more time to recover from and, and to try again. I hate how scared I am of time, but I can't help it. I had a frozen transfer in July that ended in a chemical pregnancy, which devastated me, but I just had another FET in September and found out I'm pregnant with very good betas that keep rising. Hooray! 
It's still very early and I'm trying to walk that tightrope of healthy skepticism and hope. Thank you for bringing attention to this insane world of fertility struggles. It can feel so isolating and hard in the most unique way. Thank you, Melanie, and congratulations on your pregnancy. Now let's turn to Shelby Gale, who's now 22 weeks pregnant. She chose not to do PGTA on her IVF cycle. I feel kind of lucky that my doctor isn't for PGS testing. One, because I think she's incredibly smart and tuned in. Um, She was unbiased when I brought it up. But uh-huh. when, when I told her I wasn't, she like celebrated it. Like it's the first uh-huh. thing that she mentioned because she just said, she said to me, like the science just isn't there. It's like they recommend it for people who are older, but at the same time, the people who've benefited the most from like transferring abnormal embryos have been people who are older, mm. you know, because they're the ones who are being told that their embryos are bad and they're like, discarding all these embryos and then it is a last ditch effort they're like transferring an abnormal and there's a lot of doctors now that are like behind this like movement of saying that pgs testing is just not all that it's cracked up to be there's about a 60 percent chance of an ivf transfer with a pgs normal growing into a normal pregnancy there's a 30 to 40% chance of certain mosaics and abnormals growing into a normal pregnancy. Oh, and then also I think it's worth mentioning that in Europe, PGS testing is unheard of. Like, so in the United States, it's like sold with IVF for anyone going through IVF, you know, above a certain age. And I think even younger, but it's like, I think 30% of women in the United States do PGS testing. 3% of women in the UK do PGS testing. I guess for me, I mean, it was really easy at the end of the day because I only got one embryo. So why does it matter that she only had one? Well, if she had one potential embryo that when sent for genetic testing could get a questionable result, she could just transfer it before testing and let her body do the testing, let her body figure out if it's a normal embryo or not. If it's abnormal, it probably won't implant or it will miscarry it's less likely that it will result in a live birth. And there's always testing at 10 weeks pregnant. More on that later. Now she's going to talk about blastocysts. But basically, like, you have this sphere of cells, you know. Yes. And then you have the fetal cells, which are inside. And then you have the placental cells, which are the outside. Uh Uh-huh. And then when they biopsy the embryo, they're biopsying the placental cells. Yeah. So these aren't even the cells that are going to become your baby. Right. And then also, if you think of the embryo as like a classic soccer ball with like the black and white patches. Yeah. They're only drawing five cells out of like a hundred cell organism. And so when they take those five cells, depending on where the needle biopsies that embryo, you could get completely different results. And that has been absolutely proven. She's right. Here's a video of Dr. Richard Paulson, the director of USC Fertility and the president of the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, the ASRM. Keep in mind, he's holding a soccer ball in his hand during this presentation. If you don't know what a soccer ball looks like, it's mostly white hexagons with a few black hexagons here and there. And it's a sphere, because it's a ball. Now, one of the things that happens during rapid division is that as the cells divide, they may make a mistake. And they can either keep an extra chromosome or lose a chromosome that they needed. And therefore, the chromosomal content of that particular cell 
is wrong, even if the rest of the embryo is okay. So think of this embryo as having been normal, and we'll use white as the normal cells since they're more common here, and the black areas as being the abnormal ones where the cells had made a mistake. You could see how if you go and you take a biopsy of a part of the embryo that you are going to get a different answer and that it may not necessarily reflect the rest of the embryo. Most importantly, it may not reflect what's happening on the inside in the inner cell mass. Furthermore, when you do a biopsy on a blastocyst, you're removing about five cells, which in this analogy would correspond to about two of these faces. So you could get a black and a white, or you could get two whites, depending on where you do that. In addition, it gives you a sense as to how much trauma you would probably do to that trophectoderm by removing that many cells. And in fact, we do know that doing the biopsy like this does decrease the implantation rate. So even if you have a normal test and you're transferring that embryo, you have done some damage to that embryo, meaning it'll have a lower probability of implantation. And that is why pre-implantation genetic screening is probably not ready for prime time. In his very educated opinion. But as you'll see, there are a lot of opinions. But yeah, basically, so they stick the needle in. If you stick it in, say, like one of the white patch parts, yeah, boom, you have a PGS normal embryo. Uh huh. If you stick the needle and biopsy one of the black patches, bam, abnormal embryo. Right. If you stick the needle in between, you know, at the seams, you have a mosaic embryo. Wow. What's a mosaic embryo? Oh, a mosaic embryo is just an embryo with both normal and abnormal cells. And there are many babies out there that have come from PGTA-tested mosaic embryos. You can have an embryo that's completely abnormal and just happen to get the five cells that are normal or the other way around. You could have a completely normal embryo with like two bad cells and get a mosaic because of where you tested it. And like, so they took embryos from this couple that had donated. I think they had 11, 11 embryos and they sent them off for testing. And then they sent biopsies of the same embryos to two different labs and they got completely different results on nine out of 11 of the embryos. That's a lot, you know? Yeah. And we're not even talking about the cells that become the baby. And then there's also research on how these cells, you know, it's like they're at the very beginning of life. Like they can adapt, they can grow, they can, you know, correct themselves. They still are not like set on their way. Right. So it's like even though you could have like this this thing presenting, you could still have a total normal baby because you're not even testing the fetal cells. Yeah, she's right again. Embryos are known to self-correct. At five days old, they're obviously still growing. So some say that this is just a moment in their development, like like this guy, Dr. Gleicher of the Center for Human Reproduction. The embryo at that stage can still, to a large degree, self-correct. Even assuming that the test results suggest that that embryo blastocyst stage has unemployed cells, has chromosomally abnormal cells, that embryo over the ensuing days still in a high percentage of cases will self-correct. So why test at earlier stages? 
Then I asked her if anybody ever implants mosaic embryos or PGTA-tested aneuploid embryos, and she said, hell yeah, there are. And she said there's Facebook groups dedicated to mothers of babies who had mosaic embryos. Early on, I found this article and uh, even videos on YouTube of like all of these like really well-respected fertility doctors, REs, that swear by transferring mosaics. And like they have actually built their practice on being open to transferring people's abnormals and mosaics. To me, I was like, okay, if I get one that's not compatible with life, it miscarries and that's fine. My worst nightmare is ending up with a like severely disabled child, you know, right or wrong. I'm really terrified of that. Yeah. Miscarriage to me is not the worst case scenario. Right. I don't believe I'm going to have a severely disabled child. I mean, especially not now. But when I was kind of like weighing the options, it was like, I just did not want to test my embryos because it's like, if I have this like beautiful, healthy blastocyst, something's right. You know, something's working right. But you did an, what is it called? The blood test? Yeah, the uh, non-invasive prenatal testing, NIPT. NIPT, NIPT. And no amnio? No amnio because the NIPT came back with absolutely, like, no concerning. Okay. And that's that's what you do. So uh, how far along are you when you do NIPT? So you can do (laughs) NIPT starting at around 10 weeks. Okay. It's more accurate, like, the longer you wait, but 10 to to 14 weeks. Yeah. I guess kind of for me, like, the big thing is, like, so I put in this unknown, you know, embryo. Like, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. Yeah. I can't imagine knowing that the embryo could be bad. Like, okay, I have this much of a chance of it being not good. Right. So if you had already done PGS. If I had done it, it was... It was transferring an abnormal. It's like I was already concerned enough. So it's like I didn't want to add more concern. Your body is the ultimate PGS test. Yeah, it takes a little longer to arrive at those results, but you're going to get the results. You're either going to find out it was abnormal and you're going to miscarry. More likely than not, you're going to miscarry pretty early on. Yeah. Or you're going to have a healthy pregnancy and never know whether this baby was abnormal or normal or... (sighs) I think it's also such a personal choice, but it's such an important decision that it is something that deserves research. It's like it could be the most important decision you ever make in your life. I mean, people who've done it swear by it, and then other people who've done it hate that they did it. I think one thing that makes me nervous, and I would talk to him about this, is like, okay, like he won't transfer abnormals, and I, that's pretty normal, but will he transfer mosaics, you know? So if there's a, there's a specific type of mosaic that we can consider transferring, um, it has to be a low, what's called a, a low mosaic, mm-hmm. so the percentage of cells or mosaic is a low, low percentage, and then it has to be a, a mosaic of certain specific things, so for example... If it's a mosaic of, say, a trisomy 21, for example, which is like Down syndrome, we, that, that's one that we're not likely to transfer. Yeah. Uh, if it's a mosaic of a, a monosomy 18, for example, mm-hmm. um, that's one that we might be more likely to transfer because that's something that we know that if the monosomy took over, it just simply would not implant turn into a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big 
cars transferring mosaics is that we know that sometimes low mosaics can turn it into babies, right. but we don't know what the long-term consequences of it is that. You know, there's a potential that a baby who's born as from a low mosaic could have like behavioral issues or, you know, a, a whole bunch of other types of things that we don't understand at this point. So the most likelihood is that we're going to get a, a normal embryo or, or an abnormal embryo and that'll be choice. It's a very small percentage that is actually in this transferable low mosaic category. You know, I, I think a lot of people kind of focus on that one thing, but we're talking about probably about like one or two percent of embryos that fall into that specific category. Like it's just not, it's the it's a, it's a least likely of um, situation that we're going to find ourselves in. Do you guys discard those or do you keep them in case? So we don't discard anything until you tell us to discard. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing. Nothing just gets thrown away. Um, it's all. It all depends on kind of like you know. Once we get them, then we we talk about them. And you know, not, nothing just gets like you know thrown out. Oh, that's good. That's good. After speaking with Shelby and Dr. Kalen, I wanted more opinions. So I asked members from the Single Mothers by Choice Trying to Conceive Facebook page if any of them had any strong feelings either way on whether or not to do PGTA. And I got a lot of wonderful responses. So let's uh, start with this one. I'm currently waiting on results of PGS testing for my eight day six embryos. I'm doing it because I'm 38 and want to minimize my chances of transferring an abnormal and having a higher risk for miscarriage. My doctor encourages testing. My clinic currently does not transfer mosaics unless there are no other options. I should also add, I told them I did not want to test unless I had at least three good quality embryos, which they were on board with. And another one. Here we go. Personally, I wouldn't test, but this is based on my personal situation. I would test if, one, I was over a certain age, two, I had previous miscarriages, three, I had eight or more blasts, four, I had a genetic condition. Testing would minimize my chances of a miscarriage, so why not? In my case, to be honest, I'll take my chances. I'm 35 and never had a miscarriage, also no known genetic conditions. And also because I don't mind saving a bit of money and PGS testing makes me anxious. And here's another one. The founder of my IVF clinic is pretty against PGS testing. The idea being that lots of times abnormal embryos go on to make healthy babies. I didn't bother with testing, but that's just me personally. I'm 29, I had 15 embryos. My fresh transfer ended ectopic, then a failed cycle, then I transferred two and got pregnant. Miscarriage at six weeks. The next two cycles failed. I'm in my sixth cycle now. And then we have another one. I was 40 when I transferred and had two previous miscarriages, so for me, it was best to do PGS testing to improve the likelihood of success. It's what my RE recommended as well. I started with 20 eggs and ended up with six embryos that tested normal. I'm currently 16 weeks pregnant. And another one. My reason for testing is that I am running out of time and at my age, 39, the statistics are that 50% of embryos are chromosomally abnormal and a miscarriage could set me back for months. Also, it would save me the cost of doomed transfers and the emotions connected with all of these things. That said, one of the clinics advised me against it because it is a new technique and the long-term risks for children are unknown. Then again, I was expecting that I will do only one stimulation and will have plenty of embryos, which is not what happened. Two rounds of stims with one embryo each time. First one is normal and the second one not. I'm feeling pretty down right now, but as of now, I don't regret testing. 
Okay, here's another one. I see lots of these posts on this group about testing the embryos before implant. I'm in Queensland, Australia, and I didn't even have it discussed with me as an option to consider. If it's good at day five, then the best one will be implanted and the others frozen. I'm 36 in case that matters. Then somebody responds, I find it very different in different countries, the laws, the culture, and the general attitude. Then someone else writes, I'm in Victoria and I will be doing PGS testing. I brought it up to my specialist. She wasn't really in favor of it, but at 39 and single, I have my reasons. Okay, we have a few more. Personally, I am pro-PGS testing, but I understand that many doctors and patients are conflicted on it. I am 35 and have low AMH, aka not a lot of eggs, and the ones I do have are usually not great quality. I had an ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage in the past, so my doctor wanted to see if any of my embryos would grow to day 5 and then be biopsied. The thought is that this will reduce my miscarriage rate if the embryo does implant. It also detects genetic abnormalities, but things can still happen. I did PGS as my clinic highly recommends it, but after reading up since, I'm not sure if I'd do it again. I only had three embryos and one of those ended and only one of those ended up normal. I'm currently pregnant and thankful for that, of course, but part of me wonders what would have happened with the other embryos. I would like a second child someday potentially and have no more vials from my donor. Another person wrote, I strongly believe in it, for peace of mind. I figured I went this far, why not test? I know results aren't 100% accurate, but what in life it is? And I know that some embryos can self-correct, but that wasn't worth it for me. The potential failed transfers or miscarriages due to chromosomal abnormalities. I chose PGS and don't regret it. Seven embryos sent for testing, three normal, two low-grade mosaics, all boys, and two abnormal girls. My first ever transfer is scheduled for October 1st, transferring one PGS normal male embryo. And the last little uh, comment was, after my experience with having 19 frozen eggs result in only two embryos, one mosaic, and one aneuploid, I've done a lot of reading on PGS as well as consulted with different REs. I regret testing my embryos. If I had known then what I know now, I would have transferred my mosaic and given it a chance to implant. I wasn't offered the option to do so at the time of the results, although I now know that some clinics will transfer mosaics and even aneuploids. I still have my mosaic and haven't quite written it off, but if this current IUI is unsuccessful, I'm purchasing a package of six fresh eggs from a donor who is currently cycling. I will not be doing PGS on the resulting embryos. My take on it is that if you have 10 embryos, sure, or if you're in a good position to cycle again, age, finances, hormone numbers, then go for it. If not, you risk losing all your embryos, and in my case, possibly the only chance you have at a genetic link to your child. I consulted with a well-known doctor, very high success rates, who only recommends PGS testing if you have six or more embryos, because otherwise you can lose embryos to false positives and end up with no embryos to transfer. There were two more responses in the group, and I reached out and asked if they would get on the phone with me. Here we have Lana in New Jersey. I'm going to turn 41, and I froze my eggs at 35, and I was very upset because I only got five eggs, which for 35 is not a lot, especially if you're doing it for freezing. I was on birth control because I have PCOS, and my doctor didn't take me off birth control like a month in advance, so my ovaries were suppressed. Oh, fast forward to April of this year, and I'm like mid 40. And I decided I wanted to thaw my frozen eggs and fertilize them. 
and turn them into embryos because I wanted to see how many were going to turn into embryos. And at this point, I decided I wanted to do PGS testing because I wanted to know how many good ones I had. I wasn't right, quite so ready good. to be a mom because I'm starting my own business simultaneously. Uh-huh. And I thought if I had some good embryos, I was going to wait another year. Smart. Out of the five eggs, four fertilized, one turned into a blastocyte, and it was a mosaic, which is, so it was like a mid-level mosaicism, about like 50% on one segment, then like 40% on another. Mm -hmm. And my doctor said, we don't recommend this for transfer, but... If you cannot come out with any viable embryos now, we'll let you transfer it. Okay. So I decided I had to go through, I was going to go through more IVF cycles. I went to a clinic called Generation Next. And so in, it was August, my latest retrieval, and they got 15 eggs. But it sounds good at first, but only seven were mature. Okay. So I got six to fertilize. And three made it to blastocyte. So I had three embryos that were shipped off to the Igonomics lab for genetics PGS testing. Mm-hmm. And all were abnormal, sadly. Fully abnormal, no, no mosaic. Fully abnormal, no mosaic. But here's the thing, as our fellow Facebook grouper commented, you know, the embryo the, is like a soccer ball. And so... Right. It could have been a mosaic, and they just happened to take a patch that was all bad. True. So there's really no way of knowing. Um, Right. So two were complex, which means meant that they had three chromosomes that were abnormal. Okay. And one was just a regular monosomy abnormal embryo on chromosome 16. 16. I'm just learning these numbers a little bit. So I, I asked my doctor, I said, well, can we transfer the chromos- the monosomy, this chromosome 16? Because if it's truly abnormal embryo with this specific chromosome and it being a monosomy, it just would not implant or it would miscarry early. There was very little risk of it leading to a live birth. And my doctor said, well, you're asking me to implant an abnormal embryo, then why did you even ask to get genetic testing? Right. (laughs) So needless to say, next time, now, I'm not. Okay, and so on this next round, your plan is, tell us what your plan is for the next round. To play Russian roulette. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Her plan is that if they do the retrieval and it looks like they're going to have at least two good blastocysts on day five, that she will implant two embryos on day five. Or if it's not looking like her embryos are going to make it to day five, they'll implant day three embryos, but more than two if there are more than two because they have a smaller chance of actually implanting. That's great. When does your next cycle start? Oh, currently I, I, I am... On day four of stims, Aww. and I have, I started off with nine, good, and then I have sixteen now. Oh my gosh, that's awesome! Yes, and the lead follicle is twelve millimeters. Great. So, grow embryos, grow. grow I, my grow, goal grow. is ten fertilized eggs. Then we talked a little bit more about blastocysts and how during the testing, the biopsy, they take from the trophectoderm, which is what will eventually become the placenta, and that those may not actually reflect what's in the inner cell mass. You have to then make that assumption that 
the um, cells that are in the placenta, if they are abnormal, reflects, truly, truly reflects abnormal cells in the inner cell mass, which is the right. baby. And there's been people that have done um, studies that have done multiple biopsies and gotten different numbers each time. And when there's this quote unquote self correction of the embryos, what happens is as the inner cell mass corrects itself, it pushes the abnormal cells to the tropoderm. Oh, interesting. So the abnormal cell lines are found. So if it was self-corrected, you're going to find that abnormality in the tropoderm, which yeah. is where they're taking the biopsy from. Interesting, interesting. Supposedly self, um, self-correcting embryos have only been found on um, mosaics. And how do we know self-correcting? Because it turns into a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. So I asked my doctor and I said, have there been self-correcting abnormal embryos? And she said, we don't know because no one's really implanted them. I mean, right. yes, some doctors have, but it hasn't been approved in a study. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way to know because you could, if you don't test it, then you might have had an abnormal embryo that's self-corrected. Exactly, yeah. but there's not enough doctors who are transferring these abnormal embryos to even find out if it's self-corrected. So, this to, to say that uh, that completely abnormal, not, and I'm saying not mosaic embryos cannot self-correct. I think is not reasonable to make that assumption because mm. there haven't really been enough studies to prove that. Interesting, interesting. I mean, what, who is genetic testing great for? It's wonderful if you want to avoid a miscarriage. It's great, I and mean, not that it's a guarantee to avoid a miscarriage, but it does improve your chances of avoiding a miscarriage. It's great if you have a ton of embryos to start off with, and it's great if you are un if you're younger. Yeah, like if you're 35 and you start off with like five or more embryos, it's great. Sure, why don't you do that natural selection that way? Um, mm -hmm. I am not a proponent of genetic testing for myself, but I do think that it is a worthwhile advance in technology. It's not mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. I did been there done that, but yeah. I'm not gonna poo poo on yeah, for yeah, everyone. Yeah. yeah. And why clinics love it? They love it because it helps their success rates. Um, um that yeah. makes sense. So the clinics who mandate it, they wanna have good success rates. <laughs> I'm sorry to be I'm so sorry to be cynical, but no, that's no, no. That's the truth of the matter. No one's going to admit that, but no, that's, that's okay. how I feel. Yeah, it's probably yeah. true. I mean, at least in part, even if it's not 100% At least true. in part. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. After talking to Lana, I saw another message on the Facebook group from a woman named Alexa, and I made her talk to me too. She's right here in Los Angeles. Well, when I started, I was. 40 you mm -hmm. know it was like the classic thing where you're like okay i'm single and i've always wanted to have a family and then you yes. know it's like you're like okay i'm gonna do it on my own so i st like i had my first ivf cycle because i went straight to ivf i was like you i'm did? gonna like maximize my chances and just like Smart. do this because i'm like i don't have time to waste potentially on the other stuff when i could spend that money on 
something that gives me a better chance for, for success. Wow. So yeah, so I went and I froze my eggs when I was 36. Oh, also. Cool. So that was kind of my backup plan. Yes. <laughs> was. Okay. <laughs> so um, I've yeah, got that so, backup plan too. Yeah. So, okay. um, so I did my first cycle earlier this year when I was still 40. So I was like, okay, before I dive into my frozen eggs, I'll just try a fresh one. Oh, gosh. And, um, yeah, so, and it actually, like, went very promising. Like, they got, I think, 16 eggs and then 13 fertilized. um, And then I had six on day five. Okay. So I was like, that's, you know, that's when I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to do the PGS, the testing, you know, because I want to make sure, you know, minimize the risk for miscarriage and, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure it's chromosomally normal and all that kind of stuff. So I, I sent them off to only one came back chromosomally normal and and it was funny because my doctor said like just from looking at it it wasn't even one that like that was not very good quality he said like I had one some that looked better quality but they came back chromosomally abnormal so I transferred uh the one that was normal that was in May and then unfortunately that just didn't Oh, man, um, that must yeah, have been so, was, so hard. That was very, yeah, that was disappointing. And then I was, okay, well, I have my frozen eggs. <laughs> so I did that next. So I had like 16 frozen eggs also. So I thawed them, you know, fertilized them and nine fertilized. Mm-hmm. But then I only had, I only had two day five embryos. Oh, my gosh. Out of the like 16 frozen eggs. So, yeah, so, you know, I talked to my doctor and we were like, okay, just to kind of like up the chances, let's transfer both. But so I was like, because I only had two, I was like, I'm not doing any genetic testing on them, you know, because it's like, what if they're both no good? Then I completely blew everything on the frozen eggs and, you know, so I transferred both and then that didn't work. Oh, good God. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it's just been like, I did not expect it to be so hard, you know, and especially with the frozen eggs was definitely a letdown because I had, you know, it was, it was my backup plan. And, you know, now I wish that I had done like two rounds of frozen eggs, you know, because, because I did one and it just wasn't enough, you know? Yeah. So the doctor thinks maybe there's just some issue with my eggs that, that, because I have good numbers, like everything is fine, but for some reason they just don't turn into embryos that stick at least so far, you know? It's like, he was kind of surprised that my frozen eggs did so badly so poorly so i'll try one more with my own ex for sure and i will not do the the testing because i'm like might as well just give it all a shot yeah and how old are you do you mind if i i'm 41 now i turned 41 in june yeah and then if that doesn't work i'll probably consider switching to donor eggs oh my gosh you know but it's it's just it's i did not for some reason i just did not you know i don't think anybody ever expects to have infertility issues Mm -hmm. you know but it's like it's kind of the reality if you're you know 40 and over it's like it's more likely than not i guess that it's hard you know i also have 16 frozen eggs okay well see that's the thing though it's like you think like oh that's cool i always have those and then I mean, I'm sure it works for a lot of women. It's just like for me, it was just like didn't work, you know, and I had them for like five years. And yeah, well, like, but they also aren't as viable with the, the thawing process, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I just froze eggs and not embryos, you yeah, know? Yeah, You can't get too upset about it. You just kind of got to look ahead and take the next step, you know? 
Wow. You guys are so amazing. People are always <laughs> saying like, cause of my podcast, people are always like set, saying how courageous I am. And I'm just like, no, I'm not. You should see mm-hmm. all the women that are just like, you're all so strong. And well, some of them have like a long, long journey already, I you know, know like yeah. in that group, I was, I'm like, my God, you know, like what yeah. some of them went through or like miscarriages and all that kind of stuff. That's scary, you know? Yeah. But I think the I think the reason behind it is that like, there's really no other option. It's, it's it, do this right. or don't have your dream. Right. Exactly. Totally. That's, that's exactly what it is. If we were like lukewarm about having kids, it wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> no, you would not go through all this yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 Did you have like strong opinions in general about uh, genetic testing? I, d- I don't. I can totally see both sides. Yeah. You know, because I was definitely like when I first started, I was definitely on the pro camp you know i was like no i'm definitely doing this i don't want to have a miscarriage i want to like maximize my chances if mm-hmm. i do have a transfer that it's it's a good chance that it's going to work mm-hmm. and i still think that you know but i think if you only have a low number of embryos then if you do test them there is a chance that you will have nothing to transfer right so it's just like it's it's comes back up normal or what's it mosaic, mosaic. mosaic. yeah and then reading about it to where sometimes those embryos can, you know, self-correct and still turn into healthy pregnancies. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I think everybody has to make that call for themselves, but I totally see both sides, you know, but so, I think the next time around, I won't just because I remember the stress from last time mm-hmm. where it's like, oh my God, what if they all come back up normal? And then you went through the whole cycle and all the injections and the egg retrieval, and then there's like nothing, you know? Do you think it's better to end up after genetic testing with some questionable embryos, a couple of them, or to or to not do the genetic testing and mm-hmm. you've got these three completely unknown to transfer them and have miscarriages and, and not end up I know, well, that's, that's the big question, you know? It's like either way you might end up with nothing. But there's know? a possibility still when you get mosaics that it can self-correct or that right. it's a, the biopsy is weird and they got it from a weird right. spot. Right, and that's the thing that's, I read some stuff too where it might not be good for the embryo to do the biopsy or because they only biopsy like such a tiny part of it that mm-hmm. they might, it might get different, you might get different results. From a different part. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that's, I also read that some clinics or like some laboratories they're not like the results are not uniform. So there were sometimes cases where one laboratory would label it abnormal and the other one would actually label it normal. You just like, it's not a hundred percent science. I think it's really good. And if you have like 10 embryos or something, I'd be like, yeah, totally do it. You know, because the chances are that you're going to have a bunch that come back normal. Yeah. And you could put them in, in the right order. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm still on the fence, you know, if, if yeah. like if I do my next cycle and I have really good number of embryos, I might still do it yeah. just because it is like if it does come back normal, there is a better chance that it's going to stick, you know. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I didn't do it with my frozen eggs because I only had two embryos, you know, yeah. so I was like, just put them in and see what happens. Yeah. You know, and it didn't work, you know, so they probably weren't normal. Mm-hmm. But then I also saved the money on the testing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. After I talked to Alexis, I found a message in my Instagram, a very supportive, lovely message uh, from a listener named Kim. So my husband and I got married in 2014. We started trying right away. Um, We went a year on our own with no success. We moved on to a fertility clinic 
We did seven rounds of IUIs with uh, one chemical pregnancy. Did you say several or seven? Seven. Wow. Yeah. So um, after seven um, IUIs, I actually was able to switch insurance companies and get coverage for IVF. Oh, cool. So the following year, we started IVF. We did two retrievals without any genetic testing. We transferred four embryos out of those two retrievals. Um, we had two more chemical pregnancies. And after that, we and then decided... Two, and then two that just didn't... Nothing showed up two, at all? One transfer was with two embryos. The, fine, the third transfer was with two embryos because I was just like, I want to be done with this. Let's just yeah. throw them both in there. Hopefully one, yeah. one sticks. Yeah. Um, but that was actually another chemical pregnancy there. So then when we went for the third retrieval, we said we, we should just try everything we can. So we decided to move on to the genetic testing. And I should say our our diagnosis was unexplained. So we right. really had no real direction. As no, to, like, low ovarian reserve or whatever No, is. I was 29 when we started yeah, trying. Yeah, say. I'm only 32. So yeah. I was 29 when we started trying IVF. Um, yeah, my husband's um, forty. So he's a little bit older than me, but his tests all came back normal as well. Wow. So we had no explanation as to why why it wasn't working for us. So we decided to do PGS testing on our third retrieval, just knowing that everything was normal in that round, that it couldn't be the embryos. And we got a positive, positive test, our first transfer, and we have a seven-month-old now. Amazing. And so how many uh, embryos did you send off for, or biopsies did you send off for testing? Two, and they okay. both were normal. They were both normal. So it's it's quite possible that the others were normal as well. That I don't know if the stress, you know, not knowing and right, obviously, but for whatever reason, it just worked this time. And I think just personally, it made me feel better knowing that we were putting in a good embryo rather than you know having that doubt of what if it's not good again and, yeah. and we're just wasting time and going through another heartbreak for no reason when it never was going to work. So Yeah. Some people say that if there's a small number of embryos, not to test. We were told not to test at the beginning because of my age. Right. I was only 29. They didn't think there's anything anything. wrong. They assumed that it it would just work. But so for you, the PGS was, I mean, mostly just good for your brain to just calm down, just to relax. I mean, I was anxious the entire time. As I know, I'm sure you understand, it's, it's a very stressful process. And not that it took away all the stress, but it definitely made me feel better having that one less thing to worry about. That's so true. And yeah, and you wouldn't have to wait until week 10 to find out if there's an abnormal or abnormal chromosome. Exactly. Oh, you have another one. So you might not have to do this again. Well, my hope is that we have a freebie <laughs> if we start once we start trying Oh, right. Again. Yeah. But, <laughs> but if not, then we do have another frozen um Another little boy frozen. So we know mm-hmm. that it, it's a boy as well. Yeah. So hopefully we can just transfer him and, and we know he's normal as well. So that's we'll hope, great. hope that that's, that's all we need. That's great. So, oh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> no more, no more retrievals. <laughs> no more retrievals. Oh my God. Well, as you could hear, there are some very differing opinions and experiences from women all over the world. And I certainly have no idea. <laughs> what the answer is, but I do have a reproductive endocrinologist that listens to the show. Her name is Dr. Stephanie Rothenberg, and I reached out to her to see if she could answer a couple of my questions. Here she is from Seattle. So, 
who should use PGTA and who should not? So I think it's really up to the patient. There's mm-hmm. a lot of debate on this. And if you ask 10 different doctors, you're going to get 10 different opinions. Mm-hmm. I think that PGTA is really important for embryo selection, right? Because we're not changing the embryo in any way, shape, or form by doing this testing. Right, All right, we're right. doing is we're identifying embryos that are going to be more likely to result in you taking home a baby. Yeah. So we know that as women get older, we've had all of the same eggs for our whole life, right? And you've talked about this in okay. detail on your podcast. Which <laughs> your research is so good and the information you give is so good. I'm oh, sorry. wow. That's coming from a doctor, everybody. <laughs> really good. Um, so as those eggs sit there, they're more likely to, when they restart the process of like getting ready to ovulate and be fertilized, to have abnormalities in how the chromosomes either split or come together or how those cells split. Yeah. So as we get older, we have more errors. So as we've been looking at embryos, we know that women who are 40, about 60 to 70% of their embryos are going to be abnormal, Okay. which is a lot, right? Yeah. And that's embryos that we're looking under the microscope and we're looking at blastocysts and they look good and we're giving them grades and we feel like they're worth biopsying. So even with by eye, it's hard for us to tell what's a good embryo, meaning one that's going to result in a baby and one that's a bad embryo or that is not going to result in a baby. Not really pertinent to the whole discussion, but I'm curious about my own, the own gra- my own grading thing. The five and the six, that's partially hatched and fully hatched? Yeah. What Isn't is that it? so cool? Embryos hatch out of a shell. But it, you can still freeze them once they're hatched? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so they're not like, they're still safe. They're still safe. Okay. Yep. So six is the best? So if you look at In like... one category, I mean. It's yeah. the most advanced. Okay. So that's like where we want it to be when it goes into the uterus, right? Mm-hmm. Because it needs to hatch out of its shell so that it can implant into the wall of the uterus. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if best is the right term. It's the most advanced. Okay. And so let's say you have a four, uh, then that's the one that's normal. Do you do something with the shell before you put it in? Yeah. So most clinics, when you're doing biopsy mm-hmm. on day three mm-hmm. of the embryo growth, we put a little hole in the oh, shell. Oh, cool. So that it makes it easier to do the biopsy. Okay. Because there's like already a little hole in the shell so that we can get some of the cells out. Well, that reminds me of another question. Are Is the incidence of identical twins higher with um, IVF? Somebody's saying that because of the, because uh, you're taking from the trophectator. In the textbook, it says that there is a slightly higher risk, oh. but a stu- there are lots of studies that disagree with that. Okay, now we have to get back to the PGD- PGTA. So a lot of people say that embryos can self-correct. So if you are getting uh, an abnormal or mosaic embryo or whatever and then discarding it, then you're not giving the embryo the chance to self-correct and, they'll, uh, and they could self-correct in utero or whatever. Right. What's, so what's think, the story with that? I think the question is mostly about mosaics. Okay, so- not abnormal. What we do is we look at the number of chromosomes, right? So you have 22 sets of chromosomes, and then you have your sex chromosomes. Yeah. And we know that embryos that have a normal number of chromosomes are more likely to result in a successful pregnancy and a baby. So that's what we're looking for. We're not looking at little genes. You know, we're looking at the forest to make sure the forest looks healthy. But we can't look at all of the individual trees with this, okay? So there's lots of things that we're not testing for. In some ways, even though it's a very advanced test, it's also a very crude test, right? Now it's it's pretty basic. Yeah. And the technology that's being used by most companies now is called 
next generation sequencing. And so it's sequencing sensitive enough that it can detect, detect what we call mosaics. So aneuploid means that when you take a biopsy of those trophectoderm cells, that all of the cells have the same abnormality. Euploid means that of all of the cells in that biopsy, they all have a normal number of chromosomes. Mosaic means that there's some combination of normal and abnormal chromosomes. Because this test is so new, this next generation sequencing, we don't really know what to do with these mosaic embryos. So there are very few studies looking at what happens if we transfer them. Mm-hmm. And most clinics right now are not transferring mosaic embryos, Mm -hmm. okay? When we go and transfer these embryos, however, the argument is that, well, maybe those embryos can correct. So maybe it's just the cells that are in the trophectoderm that are going to become the placenta that are abnormal, and the Mm -hmm. cells that are in the inner cell mass that become the fetus are actually normal. Mm -hmm. But we don't know if that's true. So that's kind of one of the cons to testing, right? Because there's pros and cons to both of these. We can put every one of these embryos back into your body and your body is going to do the testing. Right. Or we can test them and then make decisions about which one we think is the best embryo to start with for transferring. We talked a little bit more about mosaicism and then she showed me some diagrams. Now you have your green, which are your normal cells, and your blue dotted ones, which are your abnormal cells, right? Uh So there's a mixture of cells. So it is a little bit like where do you biopsy, right? Yeah. We don't think that mosaic embryos are super common, it's, but it's hard to study because you really would have to take embryos and dissect them apart and like look and see, you know, what cells are yeah. where, yeah. which we mostly can't do when people are trying to have babies and there's lots of restrictions on doing research on embryos. Uh, so because of this, I joined a bunch of other Facebook groups about mosaic embryos. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> Where people are having mosaic embryos and, yeah. and having babies. And yeah. when you have a mosaic, they, they tell you what chromosome it's on, right? And so there are higher risk ones and lower risk. Right. And there's also higher levels of mosaicism or lower levels of mosaicism. Meaning you're just seeing more of it? Right. That okay. you might have a larger proportion of normal cells. Like maybe only 40% of them are abnormal instead of... of them abnormal. Right. So there's high mosaics and low mosaics. So, but with some of these chromosomal abnormalities, maybe, maybe one of them, let's, I can't remember any of the numbers or anything like that, but let's, no, let's call it something it wouldn't be. Let's call it 84. Okay. So let's say there's a, what is it, a problem on 84 and, but, and, and that one leads to this crazy awful problem in life. God, I can't, I can't figure out how to ask this question. Right. So there, there are some errors that we know lead to severe genetic conditions, right? Yeah. So in clinics that do transfer mosaic embryos, they usually have them have the patient meet with a genetic counselor oh. to specifically look at what genes might be involved and whether or not that's something that's a high risk for a like, significant disorder or whether it's in an area that is what we call like non-coding DNA. And so it might be less likely. Okay. Or that it's something that we think that we can test for during a pregnancy, right? So to see if the baby's actually affected later on by doing pregnancy testing. Right. Your clinic and you in general, are you, you're a pro PGTA. I am. I think that, I mean, let's talk about you, you specifically, right? So, so when you have five embryos. Yeah. You have two options, right? You can transfer them one at a time, 
based on based on the best morphologically. Exactly. Or you can test those five embryos and figure out which one is most likely to implant. Right. So these are two different approaches. You can either do five transfers and potentially have five negative pregnancy tests or five miscarriages you know, or four, and maybe it's the fifth one just because of bad luck that that's the one that's going to be your baby. Or you can do the testing and either have that, you know, have one embryo that's like your best chance and do one transfer. Or sometimes you find out that none of them would result in a baby, right? And so then you wouldn't spend five transfers trying to find that out. Yeah. And if you're younger, what you want, what you feel, what, what the patient feels, right. What feels more tolerable. Right. Right. Well, for, I know there's a doctor that I saw some video of and he's talking about, um, PGTA not being good for people, for women with a lower egg count. So the thinking for that is that the test is not perfect. Right. It's correct 99% of the time, right? So the people who think that for older women who have fewer eggs or fewer embryos, the con for that is that the test might be wrong. About 1% of the time it could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Or maybe these embryos are more fragile mm-hmm. and because they're from an older woman and they might not survive the thaw as well or survive the biopsy. Right. Those are cons to the testing, but... You know, we do a lot of genetic testing here yeah. in Seattle, and I think it's a really, really good tool. Yeah, yeah. But it, you, have to weigh the pro, you have to weigh the pros and cons and be comfortable. Yeah. Well, this topic is dense and I thank you for letting me explore it with you. I hope I didn't unnecessarily confuse any of you who are in the IVF process or make you question your doctor's protocol. You don't have to think about any of this stuff. I'm just bad at giving up control. In the end, trust your doctor. They know what they're doing. They went to medical school, then residency, then they did a three-year fellowship. Even if they can't get on the same page as each other, they are taking good care of us. Bottom line for me, I trust Dr. Kalen, but I also appreciate that he's open to answering all of my questions and considering my ideas. I don't know what kind of results from my PGTA testing I'm going to end up with in a week or two, but I do know that if they tell me that my embryos are quote-unquote abnormal, I'm not discarding them. That's what I've learned from this episode, because I'm not yet convinced that PGTA can give a definitive answer. Like, I mean, I get it, but I'm not discarding anything. Dr. Rothenberg emailed me later after that phone call and she said, You are in the midst of a very challenging time in our field. This technology is cutting edge and moving quickly, which is why there is disagreement among the medical community. Cutting edge, people! Anyway, I'm glad I sent my biopsies off for testing and I hope my little embryos are snug as a bug in a rug in a freezer. I have little embryos, you guys. They're like little teeny babies. I have to be careful not to think about them too much, you know, because, anyway, they're cute. Thank you to all of the women who wrote in the Facebook group. Thank you to Lillian, who left the voicemail, Dr. Kaylin, Nurse Julie, Shelby, Lana, Alexa, Kim, and Dr. Rothenberg. And while I'm giving thanks, let me express my total gratitude to my newest Patreon members, Chalice Hood, Elizabeth Berg, Karina Acosta, Melanie Eisenhower, Kate Allen, Reagan Parsons, and Megan McFarland. Thank you so much. 
Hey, are you interested in becoming a Patreon subscriber? Well, look no further. It's as easy as one, two, three. Just go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast and have access to all kinds of exclusive posts, audio, video. There's like 150 posts up there. And you'll be supporting this podcast and all the time it takes me to put it together. Hey, wait a minute. Are you a subscriber to the show yet? I don't know how you've made it this far without subscribing, but get on it. And while you're at it, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You know, it'll help the show grow and thrive. You know what else? I'm at 998 followers on Instagram. Why not make it 1,000 and follow me at Spermcast? In fact, you can follow Spermcast across all social media. Got any input for the show? Advice on life? Questions about baby making the hard way? Or just want to share your story or frustration with me? Go for it. Email me at spermcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail or text me at 323-304-2057. You can also find me on the internet at www.spermcastpod.com. That's all for today, everybody. I'll see you next week with a fun interview with a mystery guest because I don't know who it is yet and maybe I'll have some news for you about my embryos and my next steps please 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 keep your fingers and toes fully crossed for me and my five little guys oh my goodness they're all so cute I just know it I gotta get out of here I love you goodbye he could be bald and bearded shorter or tall funny smart love basketball from gay to straight black to white tiny ass with an underbite I just need Powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.